Cougs house. The Houston Cougars did escape with a victory over the Texas A&M Fine Aggies, but it got way too close for comfort. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Cougs Day podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston born teacher and coach Parker Ainsworth. Here to break down all things Cougs if you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to step by. And with the Aggies out there, there might be some of those. Please be sure to subscribe down below that way you can place on Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day, or in this case, maybe your last listen of the day. I don't know how much listening you're doing on Saturday night after all this is over, but we are here for Cougars after dark. I am battling through handful of various things that happened and health related this week but we are here ready to talk about houston cougar basketball and a big win over texas a&m and the impact that it had on frankly the rest of the college basketball landscape today so i want to talk about a number of things that happened in this game first we'll break down the game for people who maybe missed it or maybe had to tune out for parts or whatever and then we'll talk some about like key performances key moments Yes, that does involve talking about that one Aggie, Wade Taylor, but I digress. And at the end, we do want to wrap up some by looking around the rest of college basketball. Now, this game did start off in a classic Cougar fashion where Houston was uh, slow to get off the bus. Now, I said because Houston seems to always be warming up to these kinds of games. Houston went down 7-0 early. Ford Walshed ultimately made a layup near the 16-minute mark. It was almost a full four minutes before Houston scored. Um, Houston then, from da- being down 7 nothing, went into halftime up 38-23. to That's how the rest of the first half went. And I think it's worth pointing out that that was kind of a full onslaught of Houston Cougars. It was LJ Cryer threes. It was Jamal Shed dives. It was uh, Jawan Roberts dunks. It was all the different things happening all over the floor. And frankly... Had uh, the the white kid made him? It was Hayden. Uh, anyway, had he not hit a three or two, that might have been an even worse uh, separation at the half. In the second half, Houston opened up hitting a couple threes to start the second half, and like, oh, this thing's gonna keep on rolling. Uh, one was sharp. Uh, one was Jamal Shed. And like, oh, this is this is gonna roll. Houston's gonna roll this thing out. They're gonna keep on building up this lead, and then very very suddenly, and it went to some. I want to say some type of a zone. Um, it wasn't quite a 2-3. It wasn't quite a 2-1-2. Two, two. Um, they very clearly had someone assigned to be in the lane at all times, that both rebounding. It slowed down Houston's offense, though, and Buzz Williams in the postgame was not so quick to talk about what it was, um, but it did look like they went to something that intentionally slowed down Houston offensively. Houston got kind of added rhythms of sorts, and then it became the Wade-Taylor show. Now, I will say... That in hyping this up and getting ready for this game, I talked a lot about Jamal Shedd and Wade Taylor. We're going to be like the battle of the two best point guards in America. And I feel somewhat vindicated in that this game lived up to that hype. At least I hope it lived up to that hype. Um, until the last two heaves of the game to try and like hit a distant three to like cut the lead or whatever, Wade Taylor was shooting 50% from three on the day. I want to remind you that he really was shooting... 25% from three on the season before that. And one step further, he 
was uh, shooting just 30% on three from his career in college. This is not a legacy three-point shooter like some folks would make you believe, but he certainly looks like it against Houston Cougars on Saturday. Now, I have to say, first of all, welcome from the Philippines. Shout the Philippines. Um, I have to say that it looked like to me Houston played very good defense for the most part on Wade Taylor the fourth, right? Like this is not the kind of game where I'm necessarily worried about some defensive flaw that Houston had that led to Wade Taylor having a career day of 34 points, uh, 10 of 22 from the field, right? I don't think that this is a flaw in Houston's giddy up or anything wrong with Houston's program. I will say that that kid hit tough shots. That's the hard thing about college basketball is everything always comes down to one game samples conference tournament a series of one games uh ncaa tournament a series of one games single games like that can throw you off and frankly last year's houston cougar team we saw lose these kinds of games whether the sweet 16 against poplar and miami or frankly it could go even further back to like when they lost to alabama not that it was um any star player in alabama necessarily but when the subs came in houston looked out of sorts and kind of stalled an offense and a very similar game kind of happened it felt like those kinds of games, but unlike last season, Houston was able to flip the switch and win this this year. And I feel like part of it was that Jamal Shedd defense did not let up, even though he was getting just all these incredibly difficult, like can't just hand me the letter and horse type difficult shots on his head from Wade Taylor. He never let up, made every shot difficult. He ended up with two blocks as well, one of the most athletic blocks I've ever seen in my life, frankly on the leaping block of a jump shot, three behind the arc. Big-time plays on defense from Jamal Shea, including a steal that was supposed to be going out of bounds. He jumped out and flipped it back to his teammate and started a fast break. Um, Jamal Shea ended up with 12 points and eight assists. I think that the uh, two blocks on steal ended up being as big or bigger than any of those as well. Wade Taylor, I mentioned, ended up with 34 points, four assists, three rebounds, three steals. This was that marquee matchup of great offensive point guard versus great defensive point guard that it was billed out to be. Um, the funny thing to me, though, is that the MVP of the game <clears throat> ultimately ended up going to Emmanuel Sharp for his big offensive second half, including we hadn't gotten to the end of the game yet. Uh, so, Houston was up by as much as 21 in the second half before the offense stalled out, and Wade Taylor got hot. As Wade Taylor got hot, the Aggies crawled back and ultimately did tie up the game. Um, Emmanuel Sharp turned it on in the last five minutes. He had a huge three at the 422 mark to kind of stall, uh, stall the lead and stall the comeback, and kind of stopped the shooting and scoring drought for Houston. Um, Houston found him again at the 322 mark, except he missed, and then Afterwards, at the offensive rebound, they got the ball back to Sharp. He had a great drive and dish out to Cryer, which would have been a dagger of sorts around the three-minute mark. Cryer missed. He has these several different moments where like things are so close to being like the game changer until the end when um, ultimately Jamal Shed is dribbling around the top of the key, and he kind of gets the defense second a little bit like he's going to drive, kicks it to uh, – Mango Sharp, Mango Sharp hesitates for a half second and lets it fly and does make a dagger three to go up three with about 30 seconds left. Houston comes down, plays great defense, gets the ball back uh, without having allowed any points, gets the ball to Mango Sharp. He has to make two free throws to ice the basketball game. So I see how, as a 21 point guy, high scoring guy, had the last five points guy, he got the MVP. So I don't want to argue against him getting the MVP trophy by any stretch, but I would point out that in that final couple minutes 
Jamal Shedd also had to step back three with a hand in his face. Jamal Shedd also had to cover and force difficult shots on Wade Taylor the fourth, who clearly demonstrated that if you were going to make him for it, shoot a difficult shot, he was going to make it. Um, you know, Jamal Shedd could have had a game-winning assist had uh, Javier Francis not traveled at one moment, right? He ultimately did have assists to Javier Francis a couple plays later on the same kind of instances for a dunk. And I just... I, I don't mean to argue. I think it could have been a co-MVP award. I'll leave it at that. I think it could have been a co-MVP award. I think that uh, Jamal Shedd played that kind of game today as well. Now, if you enjoyed the Toyota Center, if you enjoyed the game, if you enjoyed the way that it looked like people were having a good time, the Toyota Center and the game, I'm going to recommend that you go look for tickets to whatever you want to go to next in the city of Houston on the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app today. Get the best prices, uh, lowest prices, best tickets guaranteed because they have all kinds of different options and things like that. You can see what your seat's going to look like ahead of time. You can pick a section, let them pick the row and seat, and you'll get the saving of average of 18% off. You can do all kinds of different things, find all kinds of different tickets to concerts, uh, theater shows, sports, basketball, baseball, football, whatever you want in the H, they've got it covered at game time. So go to game time, download the app today, use code locked on college for $20 off this promo code locked on college, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Now in this game, there are a couple different schematic things that happened that went right and wrong for the Cougs. Um, in looking at what went right, this is positive first, what went right. Um, I loved for stretches of the late first half and first part of the second half, and frankly down the stretch in the end too, where Houston would find ways to get Juwan Roberts the basketball with his back to the basket around the 10 to 15 foot marker and kind of make him a secondary creator. And he's great at passing the basketball. We talked about this, frankly, since the show started a year ago, how great at passing the basketball he is. But it was cool to get to watch him be that creator where because of, and they talked about this in the post game, when he got the ball in that mid post area and it was going to double from the front side and rotate to leave guys open on the backside because they had to cover up somewhere. And he coolly and confidently could flip the ball across court on a skip pass, a diagonal pass. Um, uh, frankly, if you don't know what you're doing, you're not a very good basketball player, a dangerous pass to the opposite side of the floor to find Cryer for three in the first half, Emmanuel Sharp for three in the second half, Damian Dunn for a mid-range pull-up in the second half, uh, Jamal Shedd. And like he found all kinds of guys on the backside picking people apart with his back to the basket, even in the face of a double team. Uh, Jawan Roberts had nearly a triple-double. He had 11 rebounds, 10 points, and 7 assists. Not bad for a guy that we were worried about on Wednesday if he'd play or not. Right? We were worried about on Wednesday if Jawan Roberts would have uh, would be healthy enough to play in this basketball game. Obviously, that ended up being okay. Um, his knee was did have a sleeve on it. He said it was swollen on Wednesday, um, but he played in face of pain, obviously, on, uh, on Saturday. As far as other bigs go, it was interesting that um, the Aggies went to multiple bigs that kind of to kind of combat the Houston rebounding because we knew this would be a rebounding battle. And we knew the Aggies relied a lot on those second chances in their game plan. Um, they threw out a third big, three big lineups a lot. So Houston looked a little outmanned and undersized, but they actually finished the game both teams exactly 37 rebounds. Um, Houston had one more defensive rebound, and AM had one more offensive rebound kind of weird how that works out when two teams that are great at rebounding like this end up with the exact same rebounding number 
Um, interestingly enough to me, though, that when AM went to the third big, it really didn't put Houston in a like defensive problem where they're like worried about matching with guys on the low post and stuff like that because so many of Houston's guards cover people bigger than them at all times anyway. What it did do, though, was it kind of early on put a lot of like spotlight pressure on the Houston center, whether it was Javier Francis or Jojo Tugler and kind of what they were doing at different moments. And I thought Tugler did really well for a lot of his time in the game and frankly earned what I would argue is more minutes throughout the rest of the game. Um, but at one point in the second half, Buzz, uh, coach, what's anyway, A&M's coach, realized that uh, Tugler was going to be stuck in pick and roll, was going to make one crucial mistake. And that's when Samson, this is a quote from the postgame, Calvin Samson said, Buzz did the smart thing. He stopped running an offense. Nothing was working, so he stopped running an offense. And he did the smart thing, and he gave it to Taylor and said, go be a hero. And he was. He's making hard shots, man. Those are hard, difficult shots. The go be a hero play, which is not really a play, was get the ball to Wade Taylor and then find JoJo Tugler's man and come set a screen. Because when Tugler was in the game, Houston does a deal where they, we call it you know, uh, bearing the ball screen, but Houston has their own thing to call it. And basically, with the guy getting the guy covering the screener and the guy covering the guy being screened, you create like an L shape to kind of keep like a trap corner, creating a corner so that way the guy driven the ball has to pick it up or something, and then he gets theoretically trapped by the two guys. Except that when he was coming up to help from the covering the screener, Jojo Tug was leaving too much space between the top and bottom part of that L. Right. And so then suddenly there's like a little window that Wade Taylor can shoot through. And Jamal Shed did a good job, I thought, over the course of the game of navigating that and not needing the trap. And they did a good job, I thought, of getting under that and kind of protecting his guy, Jojo. But there were just too many key moments where Jojo was out of spots there. Houston adjusts their coverage a little bit, pulled Tugler out a little bit, kind of flipped some things around a little bit to ultimately not let it defeat them but certainly beat them in a number of different spots, right? Now, that's kind of thing where in film, JoJo was a freshman uh, that taken Sunday off, it sounds like so, on Monday, they get to meetings and film and practice. I'm sure they'll be drilling down JoJo about like, this is why he had to be even tighter to this play. This way he had to be even tighter to this coverage, even tighter to this screen, da, 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 all those kinds of things. But, <clears throat> but I do think that while it's great energy, it's almost like the energy that Jojo brings to the floor was carrying him so far away from the screen because he wanted to like slide out extra far to get an extra step up where the truth is that created a gap, right? Um, Francis, I thought, played pretty well except for a couple of really important moments in the early part, right, where he gets two quick fouls in like 13 seconds. Um, that was obviously bad. But what that really meant was, was that he had to play the rest of the first half with two fouls. He had to set out some right then when that happened. And um, I I don't know. He travels when he gets the ball at the end. I get it. That was a bad, bad spot. I think my head, A, he makes up four by not traveling getting the dunk later. But B, I, I think he was looking for a lob when he traveled. Now, he may say something different. He would never throw his point guard on the bus. I don't mean to say that he should. Jamal Shedd threw it to him, and he traveled. I think he was looking up for a lob. Jamal Shedd threw it to the ground. So that's, you know, he kind of stumbles a little bit. I, I digress. Not Houston wins. They can go to film and learn from it. That's the way things go. Um, but both bigs, I thought, had like 
good moments but not good games, Francis and JoJo Tugler. Now, JoJo Tugler's energy is always great to have on the floor, and I love being able to pull a guy like that off the bench. Um, but we got to talk about, and the sad part of the game, um, the bench forward that I think I anticipated making a pretty big difference in this game, and I anticipated making a pretty big difference in the season was one Terrence Arsenault. So if you uh, weren't out of the game, didn't watch the game, had not paid attention to anything about the Houston Cougars, and using this as a chance to catch up. Terrence Arsenault, um, backup forward from Beaumont, was an all-everything prospect at a high school, um, projected to be an NBA kind of guy. I mean, people were saying he could have been a second-round draft pick last year just on potential alone. Um, he had kind of strung together a few good games in a row here. Uh, between last season and this season, kind of filled out his body. He was, you know, in the 190 range, like ready to get to work this season. Um, and he went down on a non-contact injury in the first half. Um, like hopped off the of, like non-contact, hopped off the floor on his good leg and sat down and put a Gatorade towel over his head kind of injury, right? Um, he came out from halftime in a boot and a sweatshirt. Um, didn't talk to media or anything like that. Obviously went off the floor. Um, and Kelvin Sampson said after the game, confirmed that he had torn his Achilles. Now, he's a really young kid to have torn his Achilles, man. That just sucks. It just, just sucks. You think about an Achilles being like a wear and tear, you know, older basketball player kind of injury or something like a freak planting or something like that. And, um, and it just sucks. Um, I will say that I thought it was, um, reassuring about the culture of the program that uh, you could see the demeanor in Sampson and Emmanuel Sharp, who did the post game press conference. Like when uh, Kelvin broke the news to the press, his whole body like shrinks, his voice like changes tones, um, really, really clearly like shaken up about it. Um, Sampson said in the post game that after the game, he actually, uh, quote, I felt worse about that, Terrence Arsenault than good about the game, right? Um, I think that's truthfully just the, you know, he's a very light, like he's got a lot of guys that's easy to like. Terrence is really easy to like. Top in basketball player from nearby Beaumont. Uh, Mom is super fun on social media. He's a great kid with a great smile, works his butt off, all those kinds of things. And ultimately, he, he like I said, gets hurt in a non-contact injury in a sophomore season, um, I don't know the exact rules on medical red shirts. I know it's up in the air and a little bit different than it used to be um, because the way that all of college sports is different than it used to be. I don't know if he qualified for it or not or whatever. Um, I do know that the Achilles, unless you're apparently Aaron Rodgers or whatever, and I would not recommend going down that path. Um, Achilles is about a year. And truthfully, you hear basketball players frequently reference that it takes them 18 months to two years to get back to their being themselves. Now, Terrence is a young basketball player, and so that means he's got a lot of basketball left in his future. Um, so, you know, 18 months or two years is just hopefully a hiccup or a speed bump or whatever. But in the present tense, not the future tense, in the present tense, it really, really sucks. And it sucks because, you know, hurts you since death and they got to find someone to fill that spot. And, you know, what can Ramon Walker do to fill in for that spot? What can Damian Dunn do to fill in for that spot? Can said lot come in? That's all. We'll talk about that. Of course, the season is Houston works their way through that in the present tense. This sucks. It sucks for Terrence. It sucks for Houston. It sucks that it happened to a great kid from a great town that came to Houston to represent Houston. 
Yeah. Um, that was a blow. That was quite a blow. And and it, frankly, like I, I just didn't think a 20 year old kid with Terrace Achilles playing basketball. I thought it was going to be calf ankle something. Um, yeah, that was going to be rough. Uh, but not not that rough. Now, if you're looking for a pick me up or something, you know, you think you know a lot about sports, maybe you thought you know more about sports than me. You're like, oh, 20 hours can tell that Achilles Parker, you're an idiot. Um, if you think you know a lot of sports, go to prizepicks.com and put that to the test because they have all kinds of different more than or less than or different kinds of ways to put your knowledge about stats and things like that to the test where you say, you know, I think that LeBron is going to have uh, more than 16 points or whatever, right? And you get to go and put all kinds of money where your mouth is for what you know about sports. They have this cool equinox right now to do like parlays between football and basketball. So you can be like Travis Kelsey, LeBron James, over or under or more than or less than 10 and a half receptions and made threes. Uh, when Travis Kelsey has seven catches, LeBron James makes four, three, boom, you win, right? Those kinds of cool parlays are only available at prizepicks.com. They also have a cool injury insurance when you have things like Terrence Arsenal go down or, or any of these NFL quarterbacks have gone down. We know Case Keenum started for the Texans on Sunday, right? Um, they have a reboot policy. So if your guy gets hurt in the first half and does not come back in the second, you don't lose. Your players gets rebooted, right, for the next time. So all of these things are only available at prizepicks.com. So go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for first pause match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash Locked on college. Use code locked on college for our first buzz match up to $100. Um, so, as far as how this game fits into things, Houston wins. That's big. Houston's 11 0. There are only five undefeated teams left in all of college basketball, as you and I are speaking, um, which is big, which is really, really big. Houston was the last five teams. And frankly, I think there's some people worried about Houston's strength of schedule because, you know, they didn't anticipate the Aggies having four losses when they saw them. They didn't necessarily anticipate uh, Xavier being, having been beaten by the time they lost to, uh, by the time they beat them in, uh, in Ohio the other day, they didn't anticipate uh, the Charleston classic having, you know, Utah and Dayton are good programs, but they're not having the best years they've had as of late. And that when you set up this non-conference schedule, you maybe don't necessarily account for all of that. But in you know games where everything's going wrong, like the second half of this Houston game against AM today, or in hostile environments like Ohio, or in Ohio's always hostile, I guess I should say, right? Or in tournament settings like the Charleston Classic, or whatever the case may be. Even if it's playing Jacksonville State, Houston has done what a top-tier team would do, and that's a win. And if it's win by a lot, it's win by a lot, right? Houston's done the things they're supposed to do to look like a top-tier team. They're undefeated. Uh, they're one of only five teams left in college basketball that can say that. I think that's really important, especially when you look across the college landscape on Saturday and this week and kind of see what else happened. Like on Friday night, UConn beat Gonzaga, right? Both of those teams are in the top 10 at the time. Um, both of those teams are competitive. That would not be horribly unlike if Houston had dropped the Xavier Texas A&M game, right? Um, instead, Houston wins. Gonzaga couldn't, right? Um, earlier or earlier today, as of the recording, not earlier as of the Houston game, 
Purdue beat Arizona. That's a three beating a one. I mean, that's that's a big, big deal. It's a big, big time game. I don't know if Houston can leapfrog in with Arizona going out. I almost worry that you're more likely to see someone from behind Houston, like UConn at five, jump them and keep Houston at four. We'll see. Um, but Purdue beat Arizona. That's big time in the national landscape. Um, other national landscape game would be that Kentucky beat Carolina. That's the 14th team in the country in the AP poll, being the ninth ranked team in the AP poll. So again, that's a little bit of a leapfrog as well. For the Big 12, the Big 12 audience at home, Kansas mounts a giant comeback to come back and beat Indiana uh, in Indiana. And so I imagine Kansas will move from 2-1 to one with Arizona's loss uh, in the AP poll. Right, but Kansas have a big comeback in that instance. Uh, yes, as we get ready to play Kansas Big 12 play, I'm going to go back and watch the game and see what Indiana did to build that lead because I think of Houston as being a lot better than Indiana. Right. Um, game of the day, though, for the Big 12 fans, if you're paying attention to the Big 12 teams besides Houston, was the Michigan State and Baylor game because Baylor had 17 points in hand. Undefeated, number six in the country, Baylor, only had 17 points in halftime. 17. 17, 7, 1, 7, 1, 7. Um, incredibly poor performance from the Baylor Bears on Saturday. They managed to like keep it respectable in the second half, but I caramba, that was a bad, bad game from Baylor. I didn't even check to see what Scott Drew said in that game. I don't, I don't know what you could say in that moment. It was 45 to 17 and a half. Uh, the funniest part about that being 45 to 17 and a half was uh, I saw. Baylor's uh, Twitter X account tweeted out like a sponsorship deal. They have to tweet out the score at every break. And you can very much tell just from the demeanor of the first half tweets, the under four timeout, the under eight timeout, the halftime. It was all very much like we have to be tweeting this. We don't want to be talking about this, but here's the score because we have to tell you. <laughs> and then it was ultimately 45 to 17 at halftime. Um, yes. As Houston plays Baylor. We will find out a way to go back and rewatch that one and see how Michigan State, how Sparty did that so triumphantly. So Houston has a big win. Um, watch it again on Sunday and break it down in more and more detail uh, from Monday morning show. Also a big weekend from Houston on the football recruiting landscape. Bunch of commits, uh, some flipping, some transferring coming into Houston. Good news on all those fronts, obviously, as well. The more, more the merrier in the football team. So make sure you subscribe to get the latest in the Cougs each and every day. And tune in for the Locked on Cougs Monday morning show. We'll be doing a more, more recap on basketball. Uh, we'll probably have some sort of an idea of what the AP poll rating will look like Monday afternoon. We'll talk about some about these commits, some of these things going. We also, like as much fun as this has been, like Houston is not done. If you, know, if you can't tell from my voice, my voice is done. Houston, however, is not done. They got more games this week. Um, uh, yeah, more games this week. And frankly, as we look at things, um, they kind of, at this point, almost might need to go undefeated in non-conference play. Am I allowed to say that? Um, so they play Texas State later this week on the 21st. So today's the 16th. That's like the Wednesday. They play Texas State on Wednesday. And then they play uh, UPenn on the 30th uh, before like, starting up with Big 12 play on January 6th. Now, I still have to say that if they can go undefeated into that West Virginia game, 
that's a good way to introduce yourself to the conference coming off a handful of wins here. Now, Texas State is not a joke anymore. Penn and the Ivy League have made their like made it very known that they're here to play basketball. Some good basketball programs in the Ivy League, and Penn is one of them. So I don't mean to say we're taking those lightly, but we'll be talking about those again here in Locked on Cougs. So hit subscribe, hit the bell so you know we're live for things like Cougars After Dark. We'll be talking about all things using Cougars all day, week, month, long, all year long here at Locked on Cougs. Because Locked on Cougs is a primary Locked on podcast. Network. That means your team, our Cougs, every day. Go Cougs.